Blog Talk Radio. show and the Eastern Airlines radio show and we're with you again live with another episode of airline talk news and history we call it the airline radio hour bringing you stories from here and there and from one airline to another hello my name is Neil Holland I'm a retired captain with Eastern Airlines and producer of the show and if you've listened if you are listening on the show's website which uh, you uh, you tuned in blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie, C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E, and you're listening to us. And if you'd like to make a call and talk with our guest, our host, or just to add your memories, then why not give us a call now? Uh, we are at area code 213-816-1611. Again, 213-816-1611. I'll see your number on my producer's board and ask if you'd like to join the host and share those memories with us. We'd like to hear them. We're a satellite-based radio station, and we're heard around the world. As a matter of fact, we have listeners in over 50 countries. I was just advised here last week that uh, one of our regular listeners got the opportunity to take a flight from Miami over to Tel Aviv, Israel. And there he listened to the show. And uh, that was great news. And uh, he, he flew over on a G456, I don't know, uh, one of the later models of the uh, Gulfstream. And a friend of his on the airplane was visiting over there on a business trip and asked uh, Michael Zoll, the former president of EAR, uh, the uh, Eastern Airlines Retiree Association, to go along and, of course, Michael jumped at the opportunity, but it was interesting that uh, he was listening to us over in Tel Aviv. You know, our broadcasting antenna is over 22,000 miles above the earth, so we get around and uh, all over the country, uh, all over the globe, I should say. Now, let me repeat the number again, just in case you want to add your comments to our show today. We'd like to hear them. It's area code 213. 816-1611. That's area code 213-816-1611. Call us now. Now, 
Uh, let me introduce uh, the hosts that uh, I see that have showed up for today's show, and we hope we'll be adding some more listeners or callers, rather, uh, during the show. And because this is an open mic, we call it an open mic show. We don't know what we're going to talk about. Uh, but uh, and I don't. By the way, I don't have a filter. I can't filter out those obscene calls. So try not to uh, uh, be too obscene with your call. Uh, but uh, at any rate, we've had about three or four of those in the 12 years we've been on the air. Okay, I'm going to open the first microphone and and I ask the uh, the host to hear in Texas if there was a little town called or a bigger town called Boring Spring, Texas. And he said, "Nope, there ain't no there ain't no pouring spring Texas. There's a dripping spring Texas, and that's where I live." <laughs> okay, all right, you dove right into that one real good, Jim Harris, Captain Jim Harris, <laughs> former captain with Eastern Airlines, and um, we're still flying Eastern here on the radio show because we do have a. Uh, an evening show dedicated to Eastern Airlines, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay, I'm going to open up the next microphone, and here we have uh, Captain uh, Jim Holder, and he's he can tell you all about uh, the new resident at his house. Jim Holder, how are you doing? Oh, boy, that new resident is a six-month-old miniature schnauzer. <laughs> And, buddy, she has taken command of this household. And we had a cat for about seven years, and she's fighting back. But right now, it's a dead heat for who's running the show, one of the cat or the dog. But she is a sweetheart. She is a sweetheart. We just love her. Her name is Heidi, and she's six months old, and we're probably going to have to get her microchip and uh, that other little thing they do here in another month or so. But she's a beautiful beautiful little puppy dog. Jim, had you owned dogs before? Lord, yes. I've been owning dogs all my life. I got <laughs> my granddaddy had dogs, and my mother had them, and my father, oh, and everybody. And, yeah. Uh, someday, yeah. Someday, I'll tell you the story. Of the the uh, my granddog, my granddaddy's dog Bob, and well, uh, I, and he was Jim, a snake eating dog. I was going to ask you about your snake-eating dog because we've heard that story before, and that's one oh, we have? definitely want want to share with our Monday night listeners. So we'll we'll find that that story and put it on the air. And it's very a true good. story. I know it. It's it's a funny story too. A snake hunting dog. Snake eating. Snake eating only in Mississippi. Yes. <laughs> Only in Mississippi. <laughs> All right. Now let's go up to Toronto area. And we have uh, Renee. How are you? I'm doing fine. We have a beautiful sunny day here. And if you can believe it, our temperature is at 38 degrees. It's now, a hot day. Wait a minute. 38 degrees? That sounds cold here in the lower 48. Uh, yeah, it does. But for us, it's warm. Okay, we'll take it any way we can get it. Wow, wow. Well, we're going to be hitting 80 degrees here today in in St. Augustine, Florida, and uh, that's where that's where our station originates right here, and uh, we call it the I call it the center of the world. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least our broadcast. Hey Neil, that's close enough. It's close enough. Oh, you you you're thinking Dripping Springs, and and Jim is thinking Conyers, Georgia. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna let you have that uh, St. Augustine thing. Okay. Well, that's where our antenna starts in St. Augustine and goes up 22,000 miles up above the Earth. Very impressive, I think. <laughs> so, well, you know, we have something new that we've added to the radio show after about 12 years now. And uh, since we like to talk about on Saturdays, anybody's airline, anybody that worked for an airline that want to come on the show, and that's why we call it the Airline uh, Radio Hour, and we're happy to listen to why they think their airline is the best airline it ever took to the air. And, uh, And so we've added another one because we started out as Eastern Airlines Radio Show. And so we decided that we would 
start telling stories that have been pre-recorded, and we put them on on Monday evenings at eight o'clock. So <clears throat> you don't have to rush to the uh, computer to listen to it because you can always go and tune in the computer at any time uh, and listen to the archive if you missed the show for Monday night. Uh, go to the website www blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie and, and pick up any of the episodes. Now, we're in our sixth episode this coming Monday night, and we've got some great stories. Harry Lindquist, a former Eastern crew scheduler, and myself, uh, will struggle through trying to read uh, the stories that were sent in to us or either published by magazines such as the Repartee magazine that Jim Holder was the editor, and I was the editor prior to Jim Holder. And we've recorded some or published some great, great stories. So a lot of them are from there. Uh, we also take stories from the Silverliners magazine. And we also have a, a book here of about uh, eight years of the beginning of Eastern's Roots, which was Pitcairn Aviation and up in Pennsylvania, where it first started, Eastern Airlines routes first started uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. And um, it was known as Pitcairn. And Harold Pitcairn sold it over to uh, uh, to uh, Clement Keys, and it was retitled Eastern Air Transport. So that's the way it started. And we're taking stories from those newsletters. And my golly, they are so interesting about uh, what was being written back in the 20s and early 30s as to uh, how Eastern, uh, well, Eastern's history, early history. So we want you to tune in and listen to our show. It's usually about an hour. We tell about six, seven, or eight stories, depending upon the length of them. Got one here that I was going to uh, play and uh, and just to uh, get you started, and so you can come and listen to us, and after uh, to the uh, show, and then after this, uh, we'll uh, start talking about anything you guys want to talk about. But uh, here's a sample that Harry reads. He read it on the last episode of Memories of a Great Airline, as told by the people of Eastern Airlines, and the people here, in this case, I believe was Captain Holder. So here it is. This next story comes to us from the files of the REPA magazine. You can check all those stories out at the website repaonline.com if you'd like to read all the stories submitted by Eastern Pilots. Written by Captain Jim Holder, an EAL, EAL radio host and storyteller extraordinaire, as Jim says, most of what he tells is true, except maybe the stories from the Eastern Pilots deer camp. But I suspect this story is 100% true. Have you ever feared running out of gas in your automobile? You wanted to get there, so you thought, I'll chance it. Or then in a few more miles you think, I should have stopped at that last gas station 25 miles back. Or I sure hope this gas gauge is accurate. In any case, the worst consequence is you may have to call AAA or walk a couple of miles to get some gas. But what about your fuel being low and you've got a plane load of passengers sitting behind you? This tale is titled, A Cold Winter Night, A Memorable Flight by Jim Holder. Yes, it was as we left the hotel at dark for our Eastern Airlines flight from Kennedy to San Antonio. This memorable flight occurred a long time ago, back in the days of seat swapping on the jets, which ended, as I recall, on January 1, 1969. This one was late in November of 1967. We three pilots had pretty much been flying together all month. This trip and the next one were a two-dayer with a layover in New York City. I shall call the Captain Tom, and the first officer will be Dick. But I won't be Harry. I will remain Jim. Now, I was a bit senior to Dick, but as we had flown together most of the month, we just swapped evenly, and so it worked out that the second day of this trip, I was sitting side saddle, flying as the second officer. Matter of fact, Dick and I lived very close to one another, so we had bid this particular line as to ride into work together. As stated above, this was a long time ago, before the days of Bow Wave and other such later revisions to the Alpha contract 
that allowed a pilot to exceed the monthly hour maximum. Because of that, Tom, our captain, was worried about losing his last trip, our next one, as he only had about 20 minutes or so to play with. Go over that and he would not be able to fly his last trip, thus losing about 13 hours of pay. Of course, he might be able to pick up a lesser paying trip, however. It probably would be a bad one that he would not like, but he, as he was very senior, he surely could get a trip of some sort. But he was quite fixed, fixated on this and had been worrying about it the entire trip. Arriving at dispatch, we learned that not only we had a 150 mile per hour headwind for most of the flight, but also the main runway, landing east at San Antonio, was closed and the ILS for the other one, landing to the northeast, had higher minimums, those being 300 feet ceiling and three-quarter mile visibility due to non-standard approach lights. The only good news was that San Antonio was reporting 300 and three-quarter and was forecast to have the same weather way past our arrival time. We had a heavy load of passengers, so the dispatcher wanted to set up a refueling stop in Houston, also our alternate airport, which Tom immediately rejected, as this would certainly cause him to lose his last trip of the month. He stated that with some cruise, some cruise control, including altitude changes if need be, we could make it okay. The dispatcher did not agree, but he did finally sign off on the nonstop flight. Dick and I were making eyes at each other by now. We were to fly November 8139 November, a B727-100, which, as I recall, had an eastern required minimum fuel at landing of 5,000 pounds. Might have been a bit higher. I do not recall the exact fuel load, but we took all we could, and off we went in the cold winter night, flying into the teeth of a hurricane. The higher we climbed, the stronger the winds were. We finally reached our planned cruising altitude of flight level 350, and there were the winds right on the nose at 150 knots. We had a rudimentary computerized flight plan back then, and at our first checkpoint, it and I, the second officer, who among other duties kept up with the fuel burn, agreed we would have 3,500 pounds of fuel at San Antonio, way below the absolute minimum fuel required by Eastern landing, not to mention this fuel remaining was not at our alternate but our destination. Of course, I immediately advised Captain Tom of this, which at least got his attention. As my figures and the flight plan agreed, he decided it must be true. But to my surprise, he just decided to slow down, save fuel, he said, and press on to San Antonio. At the next checkpoint, nothing had changed, still 3,500 pounds. So Tom decided to send to flight level 310. There we still had 150 knot winds on the nose. He then asked that I update the San Antonio weather, which I did, and found it was still 303 quarter. This cheered him up tremendously as he announced that all was okay. We would enter a straight in downwind, make a 180 degree right turn back into the northeast runway, and be at the gate just a few minutes late. The next leg to Atlanta would be way under schedule due to the strong tailwinds we would have, thus he could fly his last trip with us. I looked over at Dick, who had not said a word, expecting him to support me. I could see concern in his eyes, but still he was silent. Now we were coming up on Knoxville and I was getting very antsy. I recalled being the brand new keep your mouth shut, your own probation co-pilot back in June of 1964 when Captain Charlie Mardikin and I initiated Eastern DC-7B unscheduled service into Waterloo, Iowa after wandering around the upper Midwest for hours and hours dodging storms. I clearly recall the final 15 or so miles of that flight being in the clouds with all the tanks showing empty. I swore then that would never happen to me again. That story is also told in the Reaper magazine. It's called Waterloo in the 2001 spring-summer edition of Reaper T. Over Knoxville, nothing had changed. Weather the same, fuel still 3,500 pounds, a little over 1,000 pounds per tank, and Tom still determined to press on to San Antonio. I slammed the back of Dick's seat as I was making this report to Tom, but again, his only contribution was to look concerned. Coming up over Memphis, I again checked the weather. Same. Projected fuel on arrival. Same. And calmly reported it all to Tom. He just stared straight ahead. I then stated, this is exactly what I said to the best of my memory. Captain, 
it is okay with me, but on to San Antonio if you want to. Tom turned to me and smiled, and I said, but land in Houston and let me off. He asked if I was serious, and looking him straight in the eye, I assured him that I was. He turned to Dick and told him to get Clarence to Houston for a fuel stop. Never said another word to me. We refueled and flew, flew on to San Antonio where the weather was still 303 quarter and arrived at the gate with sufficient fuel to have flown safely back to Houston had we been unable to land in San Antonio, almost Dewey some 165 nautical miles. We certainly could not have done it with 3,500 pounds. Captain Tom was not on the next trip, of course, and not only did he not speak again to me that night, but whenever we would pass in the hall or cruise schedule at Atlanta, he would ignore me. We never flew together again. Now, like many stories, this one has a sequel. Later, in 1974-75, I was elected Atlanta's Council No. 7 Vice Chairman and First and Second Officer Representative. As such, I got many calls concerning matters that some Eastern pilots would rather discuss with the Alpha fellow than with the company. Late one night, I got such a call from Captain Tom. He had had a problem with a certain first officer, and rather than call the chief pilot, he called me, the first officer rep. I told him that I was aware of this fellow's behavior and would give him some more guidance and counseling. Tom then said, again, this to the best of my recollection, Jim, do you remember that flight to San Antonio? I replied that I certainly did. He then said, you were right. I thanked Tom and told him I had waited a long time to hear him say that to me. I am proud to say that from that night on, every time, and there were many, until his death, Tom would, at Atlanta luncheons, meetings, and parties, go out of his way to shake my hand and talk to me. This is the way such stories should end. That's a true story. Hello. Hello there. Hey, uh, hey one, Jim, one Holder. Our... Jim Holder. Jim uh, Holder, would you like to add any comments to uh, what you just heard? How do you like no. it? No. That's a true story. That's exactly how I wrote it. That's exactly what happened. And by, and he called me about that guy, and I told him I was well aware of that co-pilot's behavior, and I was going to talk to him some more and straighten him out. And I think I did. I got him straightened out. But uh, that's a true story, and Bob, I almost said his name. I don't want to say his name. But, I, know uh, Tom, you, I know who you're Tom, talking about. Yeah, You know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. And he was uh, he was a nice guy, a good captain. He just got fixated on, I don't want to lose this little old pissant trip at, at the end of the month. He could make it up. He could make it up with no problem. He was very senior. Uh, Bob, but, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I got Renee. Yeah, Renee here. Uh, Captain Tom, as Jim Holder would call him, uh, and I w would uh, fly trips together, and I, 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 he was a real good friend of mine. We did a little socializing together, and he became a very good friend of mine, uh, loaning me his, uh, his vacation retreat up in the North Georgia mountains, not mentioning where it was, but uh, we became very good good friends, and we used to lay over in Toronto and uh, go to the uh, hotel out there away from the airport, and they had, a, uh, as best I can remember, they had a, uh, a bar there that was for men only, for men only. Women were not allowed into that bar. I don't know whether that's true all, uh, all around Canada, but uh, this was a, man, a man's bar. And, uh, of course, they had entertainment, and perhaps uh, 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 Renee can tell me whether uh, – Renee, are you back with me? Yeah, sorry. I hit the uh, the mute, but I hit the speaker instead. I'm back. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, we used to lay over in Toronto, and, and they had a men's bar, and you could get a glass of beer, a dollar, I think it was 50 cents or a dollar or something like that, and we used to order four at a time. And uh, it was quite and, – and I remember one time in that bar, uh, a couple of the flight attendants tried to get in, and they were booed back out into the lobby. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, they, have, they, they used to have ladies and escorts separate from the men in their bar, but now everything is wide open. 
Oh, okay. Well, those it's, it's were the, back those were the days. Public. All right. And I remember the entertainer was Diamond Lil, and uh, she used to love to see Captain Tom and myself come in, and uh, uh, it was quite quite an interesting place. But at any rate, mm-hmm. uh, that was that's the type of stories that you'll hear. I do have some stories from uh, other areas of the airline uh, on the uh, memories uh, of a great airline. Uh, we have maintenance. We have some stories by. Uh, marketing and sales, and uh, so there are a lot of different stories that are read about Eastern Airlines, and so that's why I decided that we would go on Monday evenings at 8 o'clock and podcast it, meaning that you can't call into the show. Well, you can, and some people have done that just to listen to it because they they, they don't quite know how to get uh, the radio show uh, on the computer and listen to it on the computer so they find it easy to just uh, call in and listen to the show. But you can't talk uh, on the show. It's it's pre-recorded, and I uh, uh, am here behind the uh, the producer's uh, board here and, and uh, clicking on each one of the stories. So that's the way it works, and we have some great stories, as I said, and uh, we've uh, talked about uh, Captain Eddie, and and uh, we we've uh, did a story, uh, another one of Jim's stories. Jim seems to uh, write some pretty good stories. So Jim, keep up the good work. Send us some more of it so we can <laughs> we can get uh, Harry. Well, I got Harry's one. Got good... I've got one. I, 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 I was going to run by you and see see if you might think it ought to work. Be all okay. Right. So we. So, oh, by the way, edit out all the bad words, then, huh? No, that that ain't the reason. Uh, I got I messed up there. The snake eating dog. My granddaddy's yeah. snake eating dog was not named Ed. Was not named Bob. He was named Eddie. And I don't yeah. know why I said Bob, but it's Eddie the snake eating dog. One of the more more famous. Okay. Stories. Well, uh, Jim, uh, Harry has also recorded my favorite story, which is titled Boom Boom. Uh, that's my trip to Los Angeles, and uh, uh, I got late for a trip. It's the only time I've ever been late for my for my own trip, and uh, so we tell about that, and um, we got some great stories, I think, that uh, uh, we're looking for. I'm going to put out the feeler now. Anyone listening to our show that would like to volunteer to read some of these stories, I've got bunches of them that can be read, and Jim Harris, I need some stories out of you. I'll see what I can come up with. Yeah, I know. After flying all the years that you did, especially on the 727, you got to have a story or two about that airplane. Oh, listen, it's, it's all I know is it's the best airplane in the sky. You punch a button and it worked. <laughs> so you're saying there's no stories to be told about the best airplane in the world, huh? Well, they, they might be one or two, but... <laughs> I remember something about a wheel breaking and uh, oh oh let me see yeah that was a, a kind wheel of a breaking <laughs> yeah a wheel came apart yeah yeah the, wow. the good news is is just as we were taking position for takeoff in St Louis okay so anyway uh, the only thing it did was I forgot to bring the flaps up and the uh, the tire flopping around on the broken wheel uh, did damage the flaps Ooh. so if you ever break a wheel be sure and raise the flaps up. Okay. Speaking Good of tires, idea. I only had a flight that I had one flat tire. Have you, uh, Jim? Have you had a flat tire? Uh, very no. similar to oh, oh, that Jim. I'm sorry. No, Jim That's Holder. Okay. Have you ever had a flat tire? Yeah, yeah, very similar to Jim's, except we continued to take off okay. <laughs> and uh, going to Louisville one night about. A thousand feet climbing out, so we said we thought it was the John, the Farber John lid fell down. <laughs> and, you know, it, was just, it was up, and, and we got to figure that out. Bill Wynn, not Bill Wynn, who was it guy? But anyhow, uh, we decided that maybe we had a flat tire, and we did. But we, through superior skill and cunning, we survived and all made well. it to the bar. Well, my flat story, my flat tire story wasn't a flat, but I thought it was, and that's uh-huh. taking off out of West Palm Beach and on rotation, bang! I mean, the loudest noise shook the airplane, even at rotation, 
part in the air and part on the ground. <laughs> the tires were on the ground. The fuselage was, of course, lifting off. And this explosion came about, and we all looked at each other. And uh, I called back after we got in the air and pulled the gear up. I didn't even think about the gear, but then I thought about the gear, and I said, oh, my God, we might have had a blown tire. And um, called the tower and asked them to check the runway, and, of course, it wasn't. I found out later when we got to Atlanta, I was about ready to call the tower and ask for a visual inspection. But uh, at any rate, they call us and says, hey, that explosion that you had on liftoff, they were they were digging some some uh, dirt up out there, and they dynamited right there at the boundary of the airport. <laughs> Stick <My of> dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard one like that. I know it. I never did either. But uh, strange things happen in airplanes. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, at any rate, uh, we do have a new addition to uh, to our website. We have a web I mean, not a website. I keep calling them websites. It's a Facebook page. It's very popular. And uh, there are other people besides Eastern Airlines Retiree Association, EARA. Since EARA is no longer uh, in business, uh, because they went out of business here a few years back. Michael Zoll, I just told you about him flying out to Tel Aviv, but uh, Michael was the last president of EARA. And I created the uh, web, I mean, the Facebook page called EARA, Eastern Airlines Retiree Association. And we've got a tremendous uh, uh, following on that. And I added a feature that is really going over quite well. I'm real, real happy with it. And it's called chat, C-H-A-T. And on the home page of the Facebook page, you'll see on the right-hand side, chat. So if you click that, you'll find all sorts of people, different departments, mechanics, ramp service, uh, flight attendants, everybody talking about uh, Eastern Airlines and how great it was to work for a company like Eastern, and I'm real happy with that. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of uh, what I was hoping that people would write in, but we were getting different write-ups uh, on the Facebook page from different airlines, but this one will let you uh, talk about, for instance, I guess got this, and I told Steve I'd read it, so I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to shut up and let you guys talk. But Steve Gadoni, I think his name is, pronounced Gadoni, G-H-I-D-O-N-I. Steve writes, the coldest night of my life was spent inside the number two engine of an L-1011. Well, that caught my attention. Inside the engine of an L-1011, he spent the coldest night of his life. And he goes on to say... The number two engine required a boroscope inspection one night in the middle, middle of the winter. It was an RB211-22B boroscope that had to be qualified to be done by a qualified mechanic. So I was assigned the job. It's one thing boroscoping an engine in a climate control hangar but a totally different experience when you're inside the engine with the wind coming off Jamaica Bay, ripping down the S-duct. If you're familiar with the RB211, you know the fan rotated freely in the breeze. The fan blades were somewhat loose when the engine wasn't running at high speeds, and you hear clankety-clank noises. So when the fans windmilled, as we called it, they made a particular aggravating clickety-clackety noise as the mid-span shrouds, he calls it, slapped together. I accessed the number two engine with a scissors lift and crawled inside the cold stream with a boroscope equipment. Now, I'm asking myself, I thought I knew engines. Now, this is Neil talking not Steve talking, but I'm just adding a comment. I thought I knew the RB211 engine pretty well. 
uh, having flown the 1011 for many, many, many hours. But I never heard it mentioned a cold stream uh, of the engine and a hot stream. So back to the story. Uh, I crawled inside the cold stream with the boroscope equipment. The wind rushing down the S-duck had the fan blades spinning and clacking away. It felt like the wind speed was amplified by the fan blades, and even though I had my Eastern Issue Winter Parker on, I was chilled to the bone. You may be wondering how an engine can be boroscoped if it's turning. Well, the RB211 was a three-spooled engine. The spinning fan was part of the low-pressure system. It took a relatively large amount of fan air movement to get the intermediate pressure and the high-pressure spools to rotate. And on this particular night, rotation of the engine wasn't a factor because we were boroscoping the combustion section of the engine, which had no rotating parts. If you're not familiar with the RB211, you may be wondering how we were able to get inside the engine. I'm listening, Steve. How we could get inside to boroscope it? Good question. The RB211 had a large area that was strictly for the flow of the air that was produced by the big fan blades. The flow of the fan air, it's called. It's called the cold stream. The gas generator portion of the engine or the compressors, combustion section, and turbines were known as the hot stream. Well, that makes sense. The hot stream was centered within the cold stream by A-frame supports. It was not a problem to crawl into the cold stream to do the boroscoping. My God, it was so cold. I still shiver, shiver when I think about it. Well, I can't even think about being, that's the end of the story, by the way. I can't even think about being inside an engine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, did that but make sense tell you to you guys? Okay? Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense to you the way he wrote the story? I thought it was quite good. You did it. Very good. Very yeah. good. So I promised him yeah. I'd read that. I hope you enjoyed it, Steve, if you're listening you in. Yeah. yeah. Now, you couldn't do that on an L-1011. I mean, not an L-1011, but a 727. You couldn't crawl into a 727 engine, Jim Holder or Jim Harris. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness most of the time we didn't have to. They ran working through. on it. It'll be ready in a minute. Okay. Good. Well, listen, if you got to leave, you go ahead because, uh, uh, Jim Harris, are you there with me? I'm here. Okay. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, I'm here. Okay. And, Renee, you're still up there in Canada with me, I guess. Still here. Hey, listen, Renee, let me ask you a question. Where where, where you worked in, uh, in uh, was it at the airport in operations? I think I've asked you that before. Yeah, I started at the counter, but I had most of my time uh, in operations. Okay. So I probably saw you a number of times when you flew into and out of uh, uh, Toronto, but I just know you probably have been there and we met each other, but that's all I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you heard me tell the story about the fueler uh, uh, unscrewing the fuel dipsticks and all that right. fuel out on the ramp. I don't know if you remember that occasion or not, but true story. story. Well, that guy, that that guy that actually went up there and said, "Okay, somebody's got to do it." He put on a yellow rain jacket and coat and hat and all that stuff to protect himself from that fuel. He went up mm -hmm. that lift, you know, the uh, conveyor belt that lifts the freight freight up into the cargo area. He yeah. he put that and got at the end of that thing and stuck a, a, a mop, a mop with a handle up into that hole until he finally decided, well, I got to do it, and took the filler in, inside that screws inside the wing there, the bottom of the wing, and man, mm -hmm. was he getting a shower of jet fuel. 
God. Yeah, I never forget that. I was standing out on the ramp watching him. He had a bath in coal oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's things about each airplane that we fly, Jim Holder and Jim Harris, that you you couldn't find in the manual about how to fix them. And I used to call it my hip pocket maintenance book. And I would take notes about how I went about fixing a problem or how it was fixed. And uh, that way, if it ever happened to me, uh, that same problem, then instead of calling Miami Tech service, letting them tell me how to do it or getting the manual out, the flight engineer or whatever, and and going about trying to fix it, I'd had my own little notes that someone else had the problem, and this is what they did. Do you have any stories like that, Jim Harris, being on that airplane that long? 727? Uh, not that I remember. I'm going to tell you a good one. How about you, Jim Holder? Don't think so. Don't think so. Well. I had a lot of time in the airplane, but I don't think I ever worked on one. All right, here's up. one for you. Flying the 1011, uh, especially, you remember if you flew the Electra or the Connie, I guess, any any airplane built by Lockheed, uh, the secret to fixing a lot of things was to land hard, make a hard landing, <laughs> and, and uh, shake well, things up. I fixed up a lot of airplanes then. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> then now the next best thing to fixing things is to turn off all the electricity and turn it back on. The electric did that. Yep. Yeah, and I call it shock mm-hmm. the system because mm-hmm. that happened to me on a 1011. And Ken Campbell, who was the 1011 Lockheed representative out in Los Angeles, told Bill Wynn and myself, old Bill Wynn, you know, he, he flew the desk mostly, and then he'd take mm-hmm. trips. And um, every three months he'd take a trip because he had to. <laughs> but at any rate, he, yeah, I can talk about him now. He's no longer with us, but he was a great yeah. guy. I love Bill Wynn. Good at layovers. Good super at layovers. nice guy. I got a bunch of Bill Wynn stories just like you do, Jim Holder. But in this case, shot it up to us through the microphone. He said uh, we 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 couldn't get some electrical thing to come on. Oh, the starter valve. And he said, shock the system. He told the engineer sitting behind me. Uh, I was the first officer with Bill Wynn. And uh, we didn't know what shock the system meant. And he mm-hmm. says, turn everything off suddenly. Just turn the switch off the APU. Turn anything that's electrical off. And usually if you turn the APU off, and that's the only thing that's supporting air and electricity, that's called shocking the system when you turn it back on. Mm-hmm. That happened to me in the, 10, 11, uh, the 727 in San Antonio, Texas, early in the morning. Couldn't get the starter valves to open. And you knew the procedure mm-hmm. about that. You had to get a long screwdriver and get it up there and open those valves. Mm-hmm. And there was no mechanics around. So we were going to be delayed getting a mechanic down from Phoenix. No, I'm sorry. It was in Tucson. And we had to get a mechanic from Phoenix to come down and open those valves. No mechanics on the field there. So at any rate, my days on the 1011 came to came to mind, and I said, let's try this. Let's shock the system. I turned to the engineer, and I said, shock the system. He looked at, at me as if, what the hell is that? And, and I told him, I he said. He said, shot or shock? <laughs> shock. I said, well, the, every, everything is running off the APU. I said, just turn the off switch off. Turn it off. Suddenly. Mm-hmm. So he reached over and pulled it and turned it off. And the little old turbine unwound, and and all the electricity went off, the air went off, everything went off in that airplane. Now, keep in mind, this is 7 o'clock in the morning. So I said, okay, now let's see what happens here. Let's turn the system back on, get the AP back on. Did you know it's reset every one of those starter valves? 
Mm-hmm. Not surprised. They opened when you wanted them to open to get the air to start the engine. Mm-hmm. So that was my little... It worked. Now, that you would not find in a maintenance book. Mm-hmm. And like I say, you either land hard or either you shock the system. <laughs> That's my story. The Electra was certainly that way. Yeah, the Electra was. And it reseeded all the needles. If they were stuck on a high temperature or high pressure, if... Uh, you shock the system, or if you landed hard, it usually knocked those needles and jarred them loose. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and on the 1011, uh, the tapes, usually we've had tapes to malfunction too because we didn't have normal needles on the 1011. We had tapes that went up and down, showing the same thing that a needle would show, full or empty. So... Uh, Anyhow, airplanes are interesting, and I promise that we're going to do a show on nothing but Eastern airplanes one of these days. And I know, Jim, That'll be a long you, got, one. you got stories about the Connie and, and uh, I got stories even about the Convair. Well, I flew the Connie for one month at Eastern, and... Uh, and that was uh, at least to get my uh, abilities in a little bit. I was on the Electra up in New York, and they let me took a quick check out because I flew them in the military, and I got to fly to Connie for one month, January '66, five or something like that. All right, but you you did fly them in the military. Yeah, I flew them in the Mississippi Air National Guard. Yeah. Matter of fact, Joe Gimbel interviewed me when I went down, to, and uh, he liked the fact that I flew the Connie. And uh, there was eight, I was nine, I was, and uh, I was the first one to go in, and uh, uh, he he hired me because of the guy just called and said he didn't think he'd be able to make the class Monday, and he said, "Can you make the class Monday?" And I said, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir." And he said, "Well, I'll give you a call, and you get down here on Sunday." And uh, But I did get a call that said he's here, so you will be in the next class two weeks later, which was DC-7. But uh, yeah. I did fly to Connie one month. I had the world's short, uh, shortest checkout, uh, I guess, at, at Eastern Airlines anyhow. Uh, two, two days of ground school and one check ride, and I was a Connie co-pilot at Eastern. <laughs> That's the true story. Flew with Jim, Bill, Jim uh, Harris? Bill Watkinson. Yeah, Jim yeah, Harris, who hired you? Uh, I was hired by uh, Tony Harmon. Tony Harmon. Oh, golly. Yep, Tony Harmon. And the guy that interviewed me before him, his name was John Mac. John McDonald was the first guy that talked to me. And he had my logbook, and he says, can you get by on $500 a month in New York City was the question. <laughs> <laughs> I know the answer. <laughs> I do, yep. I said, hell, I can get, I got by a lot less than Murfreesboro, Tennessee, so I can get by on anything to get this loud, to get this job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got by oh, Well, the best I can recall, Renee, you were hired down in Miami, weren't you? Uh, no, in uh, Toronto. Okay. They sent the, the uh, one of the guys from um, Montreal came over because uh, Eastern was big in Montreal. They were like a B station or maybe an A, and so they came over and interviewed us. And um, they hired twelve at once because Eastern was increasing the flight schedule in Toronto. So I spent all my time, well, most of my time, in with Eastern was in Toronto. I did a bit in Miami and a bit in Washington. Okay. When you said Montreal, all of a sudden it triggered another little mini story here. Uh, I flew a trip from Kennedy to Montreal the day the controllers went on strike. The very I was day. involved in some of that, too. Well, I was going up there, and it was a beautiful day. You could you could see all the way up to the Arctic Circle, I believe. And uh, <laughs> if there wasn't a curvature there, you might have been able to see the North Pole. But at any rate, it was severe clear, severe clear. And we were tooling along, going there. I think it was in the morning time. And the controller, when they switched us over to uh, 
the center, I guess it was Montreal Center, uh, told us to hold. And we looked at each other and hold for what? And I believe it was on a Saturday or Sunday weekend, and there's no traffic around. There's not a cloud in the sky. And so we asked the question, what's the hole for? He said the controllers just walked out. <laughs> in Montreal? <laughs> yeah, Montreal. Got a strike we going. looked at each other. Well, how long is this holding pattern going to be? <laughs> And we did do, I think. I think across Canada, and uh, we had a maintenance manager, John Schultzmitz. And at that time, uh, any airplane could take off in any airport, VFR. So oh. what we did in Toronto during the strike, we would file VFR. John would go out in the, in the van and check the sky, make sure everything was clear, so we continued <laughs> to operate during the strike. But they changed the rules now that they, I think every flight has to be uh, uh, IFR. Or IFR, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but so we got away with it for a while. <laughs> you mean when the, when the United States controllers went on strike that the Rollo controllers did too? No, no this, this is in the Canadian. Yeah, this These was Canadian controllers. Canadian controllers, Jim. Yeah. That's when uh, the Canadian I think the controllers, controllers were, shut down too. I didn't remember. Yeah, I that. think they were asking that every conversation be in French. <laughs> I think that's one of the <laughs> hot, hot points. <laughs> Another Good issue. Lord. <laughs> I yeah. wasn't flying. I think I was on vacation when that happened. I don't even have yeah. any memories of it. I flew the first day of the American controller strike, too. And when I landed in, in uh, Greer Airport early in the morning, the news, the news was out. Wanted to know if I had a safe flight without the controllers controlling. <laughs> oh, course. you're talking about the, the Canadian controllers went on strike, not when yeah, the, the U.S. Canadian controllers. controllers. Yeah, not the Canadian when the, controllers. Well, I thought you were talking about when the U.S. controllers went No, on no, the Canadian controllers. Oh, no wonder I was confused. Montreal, yeah, they put us in the holding pattern, and we were questioning about how long we were going to be there since there was nobody in the control operations center. And, uh, but uh, they did get some supervisors to do that. But that was, that was good thinking uh, on your part, Renee, uh, about VFR. What, what year was that? How far back are you going? Uh, that would have been probably early 70s. I don't know the exact year, but... Um, okay, anyhow. because America has had all jet turbine aircraft had to operate the IFR. You couldn't operate VFR unless yeah. you're in a control pattern, you know, and you, mm. you, you clear uh, if you see the runway, <laughs> you can land. And I did that in Charlotte in 757, and the co-pilot looked over, and he says, where's the runway? I said, right there in front of you. It's on that screen. There's a picture of the airport right there. Tell them we see the airport. <laughs> oh, golly. But anyhow, yeah. it was it was fun. And, you know, it seemed like Eastern people could do things that a lot of the other airlines, I uh, hope not many of them or other airlines are listening, but it seems like to me, we marched to our own drums. That we did, Neil. We yeah. did. He, ground, and I see Renee telling this story there. That's marching to your own drums. And, uh, right, exactly. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, been fun talking. And my daughter's coming here in, uh, from Alabama, going to visit with us for about three days. And um, we're happy to get her over from Mobile, Alabama, and uh, she should be arriving here in about another hour or so, and uh, we're going to enjoy her company and her husband and their little dog. They got a little Shih Tzu. I don't know how to pronounce that name. I guess you just pronounce either. it Shih Tzu. <laughs> Shih Tzu, maybe. Shih Tzu. And, uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's a good little dog, and we enjoy having uh, the three of them here. And uh, so that's about all I've got for today. Until Monday night, we got some more stories. So you guys promise to tune us in, or either 
if you don't want to stay up uh, after dinner and listen to the 8 o'clock show, then next morning just go over to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie and check out one of the episodes. You're going to hear different stories every Every show is going to have about six, seven, or eight different stories. We try to keep them under 10 minutes, and a lot of them are about two and three minutes. So they're real short ones, just like the one that I just mm-hmm. read you here from uh, Steve about Boris scoping the engine. I'm going to tell that one on the, on the show, I believe, Monday mm-hmm. night. But um, And if any of you guys want to uh, to do this, Harry's doing a great job. He's got a good voice. He He reads clearly. And he makes a comment, as you notice, Jim Holder. Uh, he mm. makes a comment before each story he reads. So mm. does a great job. I'm going to have to start copying that and, and invent my little story before reading a story. <laughs> so, well, listen, I'm going to sign off, and Hop Harrigan's going to bring us in. So you guys have a good week this coming All week. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Take care of your little dogs. and. Renee, yes, we will lose that for sure. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Feeling well, understand. All clear. Okay. This is Hulk Harrigan coming in. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Though there's one motor gone, we can still carry on. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. What a show, what a fight. Yes, we really hit our target for tonight. How we sing as we limp through the air. Look below, there's our field over there. With our full crew aboard and our trust in the Lord, we're coming in on a wing and a prayer. We sing as we limp through the air. Look below, there's our field over there. With our full crew aboard and our trust in the Lord, we're coming in on a wing and a prayer. Taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of sight. Don't leave me, I cry. Don't take that airplane ride. But you locked me out of your mind and left me standing here behind silver wings shining in the sunlight roaring engines headed somewhere in flight they're taking you away Thank you. 
wearing black They're taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.